Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night, and I was thinking what to do for the Fila podcast, and then I realized this Pasha's told us. Let me explain. First of all, we want to thank, as always, Mishpacha Savansky for sponsoring all the Tefillah podcasts. And what is it that we see in davening that's uniquely connected with Pasha's told us? The answer is we eat in Lachon on Saturday night on Moti Shabbos. Now, I've lived through a time in my lifetime, which they always call the Yeshiva reforms, <coughs> in which a lot of shuls don't do it anymore. I don't know if those of you listening to me, do you say we eat in Lachon Saturday night or not? Be perfectly honest, my shul dropped it also before I even came here. I'm sure under the previous rabbi they did it, but they don't do it. And many shoals are like that. Um, once or times universal, and it's in the Middle Ages, and it's this idea of saying psukim bracha of various sorts on Motzi Shabbos. And what's really interesting is that it was once upon a time, historically, it's had an interesting history because there was a time it was really hardwired into Jewish practice. You can look at some of the medievals speak about this. It's mentioned even in the Zohar, whatever you do with that. I'll get back to that in a minute. And you're dealing with um, the idea of starting the week, end of Shabbos, beginning of the week. Talking about and all the other things, and you know, we, you know what it is. Now, um, on the other hand, recently, it, it, it's, it's um, gone into decline. There's an entire little literature of those who are interested. Do you say it before Elaine or after Elaine at home? What happens? When do you skip it? You know, even those who say it, the yant of time, the whole set of rituals to it. It's Mishabura. CC was taken very seriously, and then not. That to me is kind of interesting. So this gives me an opportunity to return to the Parsha and find out exactly at least speculate on what's going on with this bracha of Yit And then, that should theoretically, you know, guide you when you say it on Saturday night. When we say Yit we just rattle off the Pesukim to be perfectly honest, we usually do. You know, you just rattle off the Pesukim. But what does it mean and what are you supposed to think about? A person who takes it seriously will have to, every Saturday night, take himself to the story of, of course, Yaakov and Esau and Yitzhak, the blind Isaac giving the bracha without realizing it to Yaakov. Which is just an interesting thing to remember every Saturday night, every Mozi Shabbos. So what's going on over here? I'll cut right to the chase. I know we know the story. So, what does it mean, this is what attracted me. What does it mean, this how you translate that? When we say it in the davening, and when we read it this week's parsha, so you say, "Does God give from the dew of the heaven and for the fat of the land?" Okay. As I say over and over again, in these podcasts, one can read 
the Bible superficially, and I, I, I don't mean that to be funny. The very surface superficial is one way of interpreting the Torah. There are others. And so I suppose you could say, Italish mind needs to do. It's the Middle East. Is it dry? <laughs> you need water. The dew is very soothing, especially in summer, if it comes. And it's a bracha. Mishmani yards. There are a lot of droughts. You know, so it's all tish the mind. You're always depending on rain. So when he gives him a bracha, you should have mitalashmaim shmani yards. It's agricultural bracha. Nothing wrong with that. But really, Rabbo said, what's going on? What would the Rambam say? What would the, um, the mystics say? With Shemaim Vards. Rachel Kimmich Shemaim Vards doesn't simply mean created the sky and the ground. Right? That's radically superficial. So what is going on? The Shemaim is the metaphysical. The arts is the physical. The arts includes the sky. I mean, for crying out loud, the sky and the clouds are part of the arts. It's part of the system of the physical. So is the Mars and Saturn and Jupiter and the Sun. The Shalmayan is something that exists in a different type of reality. Again, it's not a fantasy. By the way, there is such a thing called fantasy. I make something up. It exists in, in, in a certain way. Not really in time and space. I made it up. It doesn't correspond to truth. But it has its charms or doesn't. Metaphysics means it's a reality. It's just not bound by the, you know, um, uh, constraints of the physical of time and space. And so when Yaakov is giving a bracha, he's saying, and you say to Matzah Shabbos, mital hashamayim, from the dew of the metaphysical, mishmani arts. That's already very interesting. That's very heavy, very philosophical. And it's interesting that they put in the Mutzi Shabbos. What is the do of the Shemayim in that sense? I would understand it to mean the ethereal, meaning that which is not simply metaphysical, but it's very ruchniistic. It takes a lot of concentration even to notice it. They say the way it does would do, because most of us don't notice it. It has to be a certain time at morning. But on the other hand, it's very powerful. The dew gives off the moisture, which is what you need. So in the in the uh, religious sense, in the metaphysical sense, the spiritual sense, the dew be the essence, I guess, of the Ruchnias. That already is kind of heavy. That sounds more real, doesn't it? Yaakov, I mean, excuse me, Yitzhak is blind, but he can see certain things. I can see the smell. I think the Meshachachma talks about this. How can you see smell? Unless we're not talking about the usual word roet, but we're all talking in these senses that I can perceive, I can discern. One thing a human being can do is at least with a little bit of effort discern the reality of what I just said. That there can exist something which is metaphysical. It's not obvious. You can't physically see it because it's not visible. But you can perceive it. That's a little bit of the Salam that a person has the ability 
to transcend if he or she works at it. An animal can't do that. And a dummy never does it. Right? A dummy never does it. Or someone who's completely a kham, totally you know, engaged in, in, in physicality, meaning the person who's very materialistic and only cares about his money. Wine, women, and song. A person like that, whatever his ability is or her ability, will never perceive talashmayim. And therefore they won't understand the shmani arts. Because notice how Yaakov, you know, uh, uh, formulates it. God should give you the talashmayim and then the shmani arts. That's a very heavy scene. And, you know, I think, who is it? I mean, Rashi mentioned, I saw the Kliyaka once said, you all know that the Chazal say, then when he came in, he said, oh, I can smell something. Smell like an Aiden. What does it mean to smell like an Aiden? Was it the Garden of Eden? Yitzhak was never in the Garden of Eden. Hasn't it what it smells like? Again, we're using the word smell and see as metaphors in transcendent sense. Yitzhak says he wants to get the food to be in an exalted state of mind, which is necessary for Nevoah. When he's doing Nevoah, he's seeing in a different way. His physical eyes, they couldn't see well. But if he's in the right mood, if you work yourself up with the proper meditation, maybe the proper food and all the rest of it, then you're in an exalted state of consciousness, which we call Nevoah. And then you can see things that can't be seen, you can smell things that can't be smelled, meaning you can discern things and certainly transcend the physical. That is very heavy. Oh, that's what Yaakov wanted. That's what Rivka was afraid Asa would get. If Asa was armed with these kinds of notions, like we say today, if Russia got a hold of Star Wars or China, they use it for terrible purposes. If Asa gets a hold of that, it won't be good. Yaakov, hopefully, will know what to do with it. And so we say it every week. That's interesting. Why is it that in ancient times it was universally said and now much less so? At least speaking historically as a historian in the old days back in the old country Parnassus wasn't so simple and people lived a life in which it was much more mm, scared of not getting a Parnassus Therefore, you want to see all these sukkim in the beginning of the week to make sure you have good luck with the parnasa. I don't want to use this word superstitious, but you know what I mean. There are even Hasidic rabbis who say, oh, I can't, I'm serious, this is true. I can't even imagine this. That a Jew can make parnasa in the week without reciting v'yitn l'chot. If you have that kind of culture, that's the one that the guy's going to say with the kavana. We live in a modern era and in a world of technology and wealth, and frankly, a social blanket, so that, you know, even if you lose your money, there's still government programs to support you. Feel that a lot less. That's what I, I think that's where all the shoals are going. They're dropping it. The young guys, or they've been young, they're financially successful, professionally or otherwise. I don't need Vietnam. in the hall. I can manage my own. You understand? So it's, it's kind of funny. It's a little bit like ASO. The materialism and materiality of the modern world has devalued Vietnam. That's what strikes me. I could be wrong, but that's my 
opinion. In the old days, our grandparents' time, great-grandparents, it wasn't like that. Uh, the Jewish businessman, a merchant, he wanted to be sure he said the good luck. But really, it's not so much about material prosperity, even though it is that too. And I'll say again, one can read it as as mitalishmanishmaniyars. You can read it superficially, and that's okay too. Nothing wrong with that. I'm sure that's how people read it. But if you get beneath the surface, I would argue, and with the Tal Shamayim, the thing of, of the metaphysical, of, of the heaven, of the purely Ruchnius, then it becomes a different type of bracha. It's a bracha which says, I hope you get Mishmanayarts, but only through the lenses of Mikala Shamayim. Yaakov is being blessed by the blind Isaac, who's physically blind, but is a state of, of Nevoah, so he's not, you know, uh, uh, consciously blinded as conscious. He's in an exalted state of conscious. He can see things that others can't see. Or discern things that others can't discern. That's what a Navi is. And he's saying like this, First get this ability to perceive the of the essence, the fine part of the Ruchnius. In other words, not just I look at this at the world of the supernatural so I can do magic. None of that. It's the Tal HaShamayim. The Du Abdel Shamayim. And then, if you have that Hashkava, then get the Mishmani Arts. Because then the materialism won't hurt you. Esau, if you remember, he does the opposite. When Esau begs for a blessing, he says, you get the Mishmani Arts, Mishmani Arts, Yem Moshevecha, Mital Shemayim all. I think that's the language, I believe. So Yaakov gets the Brach of Eden, L'Cholim, Mital Shemayim, and then Mishmani Arts, Esau gets the other way around. Yaakov was coming from a Ghanaian perspective. It's very hard to understand what exactly happened to Ghanaian. Are they just trees? You know? They're representing things. They may have been trees, but what they represent is more important. It's a different style of living. And it was one in which, frankly, before they ate the apple, they had no time for material things. So it's much more living in an exalted consciousness or Ruch HaKadosh, whatever you want to call it. We'll never know. We know that when they were kicked out, they've been trying to get back there ever since. And that's what we call utopia. Yaakov is blessed that you should get me Talashamayim. But you won't enter Ganadin, although you smell like it. And you'll need the material stuff. But the material will be in, in the service of the spiritual. I hate to use that word because it sounds cliche. But in simple terms, this is a question of philosophy. But I said many times, what if you won the jackpot tomorrow? We got incredibly rich. Some of these numbers like five, six hundred million, seven hundred million. You know, Powerball. You don't have to work again. What do you do the rest of your life? Then all of a sudden, you have the challenge. Of Mishmani Arts. A lot of times these people's lives are ruined by that. As we read in the news reports. Because they've never been trained. What to do once they hit great wealth. They worked a long time to get money. 
perhaps if you do that along the way, little by little, you pick up more and more, maybe you can absorb it. Here, it got it right away. Boom. The guy won a, a lottery. So a guy's a chauffeur. She's a fry cook. Is a maid. All of a sudden, they have 500 million bucks. What do you do with it? They don't know what to do with the shmani arts. And it can destroy them. Which is funny, because it's supposed to be in the service of the person. The material is supposed to be there to enhance the life of the person. But is it, is it successful in doing that? You have to have philosophy. That's what Vago Kohelis is all about. So you know what to do with Mishmani arts, or you don't. Well, they said, be say like this Mishmani arts, where you live will be Mishmani arts. It'll be very material. Do you know people? I know people. I shouldn't say this, but I know, especially the Russian Jews, they came over the last 20, 30 years, coming from a communist background. They have zero on the roofiness. They just want to get ahead, which I understand. And the ones I encountered, extremely materialistic. Because they didn't have anything roofiness and they're bringing up over there in Russia. I get it. So it's a tragedy. Even you see the family that at one point they work hard and they make money and they're able to buy a better house and a better car. But, you know, it's empty. At least from Jewish point of view. It's empty. And I've seen with others as well. Sometimes you get from people they're not really educated. Especially some of these young guys. Didn't do well in school necessarily. And they went into business. They did well. Real estate, this, that, and the other. Which is great. But what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Has it enhanced the quality of your life? Other than in the physical, material way. Um, Yitzhak does not bless Yaakov. I want you to get rich. Because... If he just would have said, God should give you Mishmani arts, it might not be a blessing. In Jewish history, you never have a family that's four or five generations rich without converting. Without converting. I know it sounds funny to say it, but it happens. Because the first generation still has the from stuff. Second generation, a little bit less because they're born with a silver spoon in the mouth. Third, fourth generation, it's a naivelt. It is what it is. They grew up, they're more tuned. Whatever the reason is. You know, look at the Rothschilds, for example. I don't believe almost almost none of them are Jewish. Even though once they were the proudest Jewish family. I said again, the proudest Jewish family. No, they, they made a big impact by not converting in the nineteenth century. But in the twentieth they have and this is true of the Sassoons and all the others. Because, unfortunately, the way they were brought up, they got Mishmani arts. The Tala Shamayan didn't precede them. It's not true that the Rothschilds, the people like that, when they struck it so rich, hired tutors to train their children very strongly in Yiddishkeit so that the wealth that they were able to display should be in sync with their Judaism. But they had to develop immediately a gap the kids are always given a, a rather superficial Jewish education. Money is important. The Jewish identity is important, but not in the same way. 
These messages get transferred subliminally, and the kids marry whoever they marry. So when you say this, I would suggest, um, especially it's no gear to us in America and elsewhere, what you're really saying, to put it into its 21st century Western perspective, I don't know what they were thinking of 150 years ago. I mean, I do know. We think a little bit different. But what's very Nogea is what I'm talking about. Everybody wants to make money because you need to pay bills. And you not only want to pay bills, you like to have a little bit extra also. But you are afraid of the negative consequences of wealth. This would say, Yivrech Hashem B'Yishmerecha. The matter says, Yivrech Hashem, you want to get the bracha of Hashem, you want to get rich, Yishmerecha. But you want to be protected against the unwanted consequences that can happen for being rich. Which is interesting. This was the bracha that was given to Yaakov. Uh, the Bnei Yaakov did better, did worse with this. I mean, the Jewish people down the next several thousand years. But it's very interesting. At the end of Shabbos, the Shaman Shal Yitzhak is leaving. It's a spiritual moment of a certain type. The Havdalah ceremony, all the rest of it. One of the things you want to do is you want to recite a bunch of psukim. The first part of which says, Vitin l'chalim mitala shamayim. Yes. Don't let Mishmani arts. Don't let the Mishmani arts Block my ability to perceive the Talashmaim. Some Mephorshim say Mishmani Arts doesn't mean the Fatal Land. I mean, but Shaman, the, the, what's the right word? Shaman. Like FAT, you know, like, like physical fats, you know, Chelv and Schumann. Don't let my arteries be blocked up by the money, because then it'll be counterproductive. Tal Shemayim first, then Mishmani Arts. Now, why Shemayim? It's not possible in the art sense for the money not to block the division. That's simply, that's the material reality of it. You can say all you want. You know, like Fiddler on the Roof, oh, strike me rich. I get it. But from an art's point of view, it's Mishmani. It blocks your vision. It stops up the arteries. Can't help it. Can't help it. You have to pray for this neshama business, and you want to talishmaim there first. So everybody's going to say this, and maybe after I um, give this little talk, many people who don't say it might be interested in saying some of it. Yeah, you know, I want to tell you a story. A number of years ago, I was in Israel with a couple, and she had issues. And the long and the short of it is, this could sound funny because this is not usually who I am. They end up going to a certain makubal. I don't even know if you call him a makubal, but let's let's use that word. Which was very much out of my comfort zone. But I was trying to help this person. And they had, the person had whatever problems they had. And I found myself, again, it's very much out of my zone. And there we were in a certain place, Yushalayim. And this McCubble is not at all what you would imagine 
he would be. Didn't look at all. Nothing like that at all. I don't want to give details. Nothing like that at all. And the place he resided was nothing like you would imagine at all. And of course, he didn't take any money, which means at least he might be the real thing. And this person's problem, he said, like this, you have issues with the Tachan or something like that. I'm simplifying this. I don't mean this. I don't mean to make light of it. Uh, you should say because that'll bring you more into the feeling you'll be talking with Hashem. I thought that's stupid. I have to tell you. Didn't make much of an impression on me. But this person took it seriously. And I have to say that once this person undertook to implement this, dramatic positive changes happen. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not gonna de- I'm not gonna deny it. I was pretty surprised. <laughs> But maybe re- maybe rethink and share with you some of these ideas I'm having now. So even though something just little, but any pasuk in Chumash can really be heavy. And as soon as it mentions Shemayim Varitz, you automatically know it's heavy because it refers to the two different zones of reality. And the term of the use, Tal Shemayim, preceding the Shemayim It's not just the Shemayim, but the Tal of the Shemayim. Suggest some, something very del, um, delicate and uh, very heavy, but not easily noticed. And I think it's very appropriate at the beginning of the week when you're about to go through your email, <laughs> check your regular mail, and get back in the regular world. You know, you know, uh, it's good to have a little bit of a of a spurt and say. I want to jump back in the world, but I don't want to forget Mital Shemayim should precede Mishmani Oritz. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. As always, I want to thank Mishpacha Stefanski, and I wish everybody a good week. By the way, don't forget, I'm putting together a group uh, for a possible Israel trip. I have 10 or 11 people. If I had 20 or 25, then I think it would really happen. So if anybody's out there interested... It would be in January, the first three weeks sometime in January or earlier, side, whatever. Um, if you are interested, uh, send me an email or something like that, and uh, we'll keep everybody posted. With that, I wish you all good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com